Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. It's 2021, and it's time to keep going because we can't stop uh, trying to get people to run for office and hopefully encourage others, even in this crazy world of ours. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I've had a chance to talk with someone from every state, including Washington, D.C., which one day might be a state, um, and talking with people at all levels of government, from my level as a borough council member in Bridgeport, PA, all the way to U.S. Senate and many points in between, from Maine to Hawaii, from Alaska to Florida. And today I'm going back to West Virginia uh, to a cool delegate who I saw and was interacting with on Twitter, Kayla Young. We're going to talk about her experiences there, what's going on in that state, and hopefully leave you feeling a little bit um, motivated to not give up and to keep going for every issue that matters to you. So, um, Delegate Young, K- Kayla, thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, so um, like I said, I love to talk to people about what got them interested in politics. Um, You didn't just one day wake up and you were a delegate. You know, when did you first think about politics in in, uh, your state? Was it something national, local things? I have been interested in politics my whole life, but kind of just uh, from an ancillary point of view. And... um, then in high school, I got a little more interested, but still just kind of on the wayside. And then in college, uh, Barack Obama ran for president in 08. I started college in 06. And so that was my first like real big taste of wanting to get involved. And I did a little bit of volunteering um, on his campaign in West Virginia. And that kind of started it. And then life kept going. And I really, really got involved um, in 2014, when in my county, Kanawha County, West Virginia, we had a water crisis where uh, we weren't allowed to drink the fresh water for 21 days because uh, there was a coal cleaning agent that was stored along the river. The, the container it was in had been leaking and it contaminated our water source. So we didn't have water for over three weeks. Wow. And that got me like really, really interested in local activism because it impacted like 400,000 people. I had a week old baby at the time, my first child. So it was just a nightmare all around. And I just realized how policy really impacts our day-to-day life. And so that kind of got me started into politics on a local level. So what was the policy related to the water there? Because it's a tough issue to me too. Yeah, it was a few things actually. So letting them store the the coal cleaning happens along the river because then they're allowed to, you know, put it on barges and take it downstream. But uh, they were allowed to store the coal cleaning agents along the river. And also it was related to an inspection schedule and the inspections weren't happening quite as frequently as they needed to be happening. So it ended up being a couple of things. It's, and what were people, so what did you do around that? Because I've been reading a lot and watching videos uh, and shows about, um, water sustainability. There's a great series on uh, Netflix explained about the water issue right now. Um, what were people's responses to your activism on water in West Virginia? There became, I still, like, at that point, I got involved in paying attention, but I still really didn't do much because I had the week old baby. So I was just kind of, my life was thrown upside down, anyways. But I kind of just started paying more attention to the policy. West Virginia has a long history of 
water issues um, from DuPont up in Parkersburg, which was the whole Teflon thing. There, There's a movie, a Mark Ruffalo movie that came out um, two years ago, I think, about it. And so we have a rich history of people pouring, companies pouring chemicals into our water. And so we're just constantly trying to, to battle these companies and corporations to make sure that they're not putting really contaminant chemicals in the water and that when they are storing these chemicals, it's far away from from drinking water sources. And it's a really, really in the weeds issue. So people get confused and it's hard to talk about, it's hard to explain, but my constituents and I'm sure your constituents want clean drinking water. Yeah, and we have issues with development with water issues because we're my town is on a river, so those issues are usually around flooding. Yeah, yeah, we have a little bit of that. We have a little bit of that there, and like a lot of people don't talk about flooding as like a big determinant of climate change, but it is. So that's another issue that we deal with here. And but the thing is, everyone needs clean water. I I don't know in my time. Maybe you have. Have you ever met somebody that doesn't need water? No, not at all. But they, I think they just don't think about what's in the water until something bad happens. But I mean. There's a lot of things in the water. Yeah, and, you know, we have days where the water pressure is low or the people will go on Facebook and will say, hey, did you notice that the, the water tastes funny today? So, oh, my God, not it doesn't happen often. It's just like if, you know, if there was some issue around and, you know, our water is pretty good where I am. At this, but people do talk when their town when they see something funny with their water, right? So another water issue that we have is that uh, our prices continue to rise for ratepayers, and that's an issue with our public service commission and how I I'm having a hard time understanding why public utilities are private for-profit companies. So there's just so many issues around water and the environment, and that's like really where I got started back into politics and wanting to get more involved. So. It, it, to me, water should be one of those things that should go beyond partisan issues, right? Like, like I said, everyone needs it, but mm-hmm. but it, it it ends up being very partisan, right? Yeah, at least where I am, we've had this big battle about um, human health criteria for public drinking water the past couple of years with the Manufacturers Association, and they say that, like, you know, if we if we don't allow a certain level of carcinogens in our water, that companies won't come here and we're going to lose all the jobs we have. It's a very threatening conversation. And I just wonder, like, at what risk we are willing to take with all of our lives with our drinking water. And then also, like, why aren't we looking at industries that just don't put cancer in the water at all? And, and so when you see, like, the politics that people talk about with West Virginia, seems to be that anyone from outside of West Virginia just says, oh, they all want coal. That's all they care about. And I don't think that's necessarily accurate um, because, and two, but people don't, people from outside of West Virginia clearly are not talking about um, water issues. And it sounds like people on the federal level who represent West Virginia also are not doing anything when it comes to water. Yeah, they're really not. Um, Our federal senators are very uh, energy heavy in terms of coal. And we have a rich history, you know, as a lot of Pennsylvania does, too, of uh, natural resources and that being the determinant of everything. And in West Virginia, we've never really seemed to get away from that. And 
before I was elected, I was um, an environmental lobbyist, and I was one of two in the state of West Virginia, and people hear lobbyists, and they think it's the worst thing in the world, but we have a part-time legislature here in West Virginia, so there's a lot of education that has to happen, um, and lobbyists can be good for that. It, I was the kind of lobbyist that didn't take people out to fancy dinners or give them anything at all other than advice and uh, education, and so... Yeah, people from outside the state really see us as just coal, coal, coal all the time. But I think the tides are hopefully starting to change within the state because we we can just realize that the global markets are shifting. So you ran for delegate. And what was that like? Was this the thing that propelled you to run? And what was that campaigning like? So I decided to run... Um, two years ago, and then, so I kind of just, like, prepared myself and the people close to me for it, and then I announced um, in May of 2019, so pretty early for a House of Delegates campaign. Mm-hmm. We have a, we have 100 delegates in our legislature and 34 senators, and so I'm in a multi-member district, and uh, the guy who, there's four members, it's been split up two Dems, two Republicans for a long time, and... Um, one of the Republicans, or one of the Dems, was um, not going to run again. And so I had spoken to him, and we had an issue on one issue, and I was like, listen, I'm going to run against you. And he was like, don't worry, I'm not running. Like, I'll support you, because we didn't agree on, like, one thing, which, whatever. And so he supported me, um, and so there was kind of like an open seat. Well, in my primary, we had eight Dems running for four seats. And because we have closed primary in West Virginia, so you can only vote for your own party. And uh, yeah, so campaigning was wild. Um, It got really wild when COVID hit and they moved the election and we weren't able to door knock because that was my big, my big thing. I didn't raise um, a ton of money compared to some of the other people in my uh, area. I live in a, uh, it's a mix in terms of socioeconomic class go, but a lot of, Pretty wealthy people do live in my district, and there's a lot of money in the district. And so, campaigning was unlike anything I ever thought. Um, it was fun, and it was a lot. And you have to have a lot of skills, or know people who have a lot of skills. And and did you know people that had skills? I did. Luckily, I've been. I kind of like have big. I'm kind of an idea person, and I have a big idea, and then I figure out how to make it work. So, like, luckily, I have a friend who's a graphic designer. As a friend, it was a photographer that was willing to help me in in those arenas that can get kind of expensive. And then I have a pretty strong marketing background myself, and that's huge when it comes to campaigning, Mm -hmm. I think, being able to sell yourself and sell your ideas, but then also to just, like, have conversations with folks. And so from your own personal background before politics and from running, if someone was interested in getting involved in their own race, what would be your recommendations of things to do uh, to sell themselves? The biggest thing for me that helped, I think, when I decided to run was I asked for just like general meetings with people who are already elected um, in the position, in other positions, just people who are like people about town kind of things, council members, uh, county commissioners, just like at all levels. I just wanted meetings with people to say, listen, here's what I'm thinking about doing what's your advice for me? And I took 
a pen and paper and I took notes on what everybody says and I kind of aggregated all of that and plus joined a bunch of groups online, like run for something was really helpful for me. Um, and just all sorts of groups like that that are just really good for learning how to have those skills. You know, you got to scrub your social media, be careful what you talk about. There's just so many, so many things. Yeah, I am in office and I probably talk about too many things at this point because <laughs> I'm constantly angry now. And yeah. that's, that um, makes me depressed a little bit. Not like, yeah. I don't want to make light of depression, but like it, it I would love to not be thinking about politics and yet it consumes everything it seems i know it does consume everything and i think when you're involved you like really realize that it, it affects all of us and i think that's only grown especially recently yeah and so one thing i was talking with uh louise snodgrass who ran in south dakota um and in, in some ways it's a similar state you know it's a very red mm -hmm. state as you'd say but i think there's a lot of differences in what people care about um, but one thing we talked about was news deserts and where people get their information. You're you're in a more, um, you have some more upscale people in your district, you said, but do you see that as an issue that's changing West Virginia politics too, like where and how people get their information? Yeah, I think that, I don't, I think that's an everywhere issue, especially more so in rural states, but I worry so much about, I mean, now people are really weary of the news, like the news that you watch on television or the newspaper. And I think to some degree, there's there's some positivity in having media literacy that people perhaps didn't have before. And they were just like, it's on the news. I believe it. And maybe we shouldn't do that all the way. But I mean, at the same time, they're reporting facts a lot of the time. And we're so just like saying an, an event that happened. And so, um, that's terrifying to me. I also worry about these like Facebook silos where so many people just they completely unfriend or block somebody who has opposing views from them. And so then they're curating all the content that they're seeing so that it's just in line with what they think and they're not getting anything else. And it just creates a silo where you're not even seeing the rest of the world. And I would say that that happens on, on both sides, right? So it is scary to me that we're closing each other off big time. And we're not seeing the other side. We're not, we're just hearing what we want to hear and not seeing what actuality looks like. So, yeah, I, I worry about that big time. Well, and, you know, to push back a little bit on the both sides in a way, I had a friend who I really disconnected from because he was so obnoxious on the, mm -hmm. on the right. And one day out of the blue, like I liked a post that he was also in from it's a high school friend. And then he just started barraging all of my posts on Facebook with comments and even texting me and I just blocked him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And this was someone I had gone to hockey games with I had and I feel like people's it's not just people have a different opinion. They're like a lot of this stuff on social media. And from my experience, far more on the fringe, right? That well, not so much fringe, I guess is is driving people's actions to be incredibly pestering and obnoxious. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I have seen that. I have seen that from the far left and the far right. And I consider myself really progressive. And then when I ran, I was like, oh, maybe I'm not as progressive as I thought I was because these people hate me because I'm not perfect. But I mean, I agree with most of those policies. But yeah, it is. 
it, it's scary when it, they start at a place of aggression, and it's like, just because you don't agree with somebody, that doesn't mean you need to be aggressive about it, but it does seem like that is happening a lot. So I don't, I don't want to tell people not to block people, because I don't think that's right either, but I just worry that we're all creating these, like, vacuums. Yeah, and I do have experience of people who are very, very liberal very, uh, on that side who maybe I just don't realize that I've not blocked them, but unfollowed uh-huh. them because I, like, I just can't fathom where they're coming from. It just doesn't even seem like liberal or conservative. It just seems like another planet. Yeah, that's for sure. A lot of it. Yeah. And a lot of it, I don't know. It's, it's, it feels like a very different time from the politics that I've been watching my whole life. It has, and, and you're not that old. Like No, I'm 32, yeah. <laughs> so it feels like, you took civics classes, you were obviously paying attention. It felt like, to me, growing up, taking history classes, that one side thinks X plus 4, one side thinks X minus 4, and they come together at X. Right. Or somewhere close there. And now it's one side thinks we should drink clean water, and the other side thinks that we should bomb the moon. Yeah, it I, I, feels very divisive, and it's tough. So, so what's your strategy? You you are in a tough situation there with issues that are very important. You, when you were running, knowing you wanted to fight for progressive values, working with a great group like Run for Something, what was your mindset knowing that you were not going to enter the friendliest terrain in West Virginia? Yeah, so the Dems were in the minority. Uh, we had a we had a Democratic stronghold um, from our inception as a state in the 1860s uh, until 2015. And, I mean, Dem all the way down the board. And it flipped in 2015. And we've had Republican governors here and there, but, I mean, West Virginia's been blue forever. But most people now would consider that, like, a Dixiecrat or... Um, a much more Southern Democrat. And uh, um, when I decided to run, we had, there, it was, the split was like 60-40, give or take. And so I was like, oh yeah, we're going to have to like pick up some seats here or there, figure it out, um, split some people. And no one expected the red wave that hit West Virginia on election night. Um, we lost 18 seats in the House of Delegates. And so um, now it's 76-23. And so, 76-23, I think is it. We have 23 Democrats in the House. And, you know, you need a majority to win anything. And so I didn't think it was going to be quite so difficult. Mm-hmm. And now the, now there's a supermajority in both our House and Senate. And so my strategy is um, to just try to find some policies that we can work together on Things, I, I do think there are issues that Democrats and Republicans both agree on. Broadband seems to be one of them. So I don't know. I don't. It seems like everybody's always wanted broadband. And so I'm not sure where the breakdown is there as to why it has never happened before now. But COVID has really kind of pushed that one along because um, West Virginia has terrible broadband Internet. Uh, something I'm really interested in personally is civil asset forfeiture. Yeah. Which I think I, I think that's something that we can get a lot of Republicans on too, because I mean I don't most people don't like it. So hopefully that's I'm trying to find like small areas of change that we can make something that's been 
really important to me this whole year or this past year um, has been dealing with the unemployment office. Uh, I lost my job and I'm self-employed and my company closed in March and still haven't reopened. And so I've been on unemployment myself this whole year for the first time in my life with, you know, 70,000 other West Virginians. And so I've been navigating that system and realizing that it has a ton of flaws. And so I've been working with the agencies to try to kind of fix some of those systems. And I hope that those are things that aren't political, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, it's you're right. You would hope that some of these things wouldn't be political, but it does feel like too many things um, are becoming political. And, uh-huh. um, you know, you have to fight against that. You talked about taking not taking lobbyist checks and, and the influence of money. Um, what was your experience with that? Were people in, during the campaign, you don't have to call anyone out, but were you seeing that, like people trying to say, hey, why don't you take this big check? And, you know, maybe we can talk about this later. Yeah, I wasn't like most of the people who those big checks are coming from. I already know those people from mm-hmm. when I was a, when I was a lobbyist. So like they know I'm not going to support their issues. So I wasn't offered most of those checks, quite frankly. Good. So, I mean, I really didn't have to turn down any. Um, but I mean, surely I would have if it was interest that didn't suit mine, because we we also had campaign finance reform in West Virginia a few years ago that increased, this was the first election that it was implemented in, and it increased uh, an individual donation from $1,000 to $2,800, which is, you know, almost three times as much. And so I was running in a race where I think when it was all said and done, I had like $50,000, and the guy who beat me, it's a multi-member, so he won also. The other new guy that got in raised over $300,000. That that is a ton of money. Do you need do you need three hundred thousand dollars for that kind of race? Obviously not. I didn't need it. Well, true. But I mean, I think it was the most. I think it's the most anybody's ever raised in a house race. That's like a state senate race here, and it was. Yeah, I don't even know how you spend that kind of money on a race. That is, I mean, we represent like seventy thousand people mm-hmm. uh, between between the four of us. So I would struggle to spend that much money. And what? For you, you, you spend that money on uh, media, social media ads, on mail, um, that kind of thing, because uh, for your race, right? Yeah, yeah. I spent most of my money on social, and then I did like three mail pieces, and it's gross to me how much political mail costs to know that most of it just goes in um, the garbage. So I, I spent some. I did it, but I'm still like not terribly happy that I did because I just think it's. Oh, it's a lot of money. I'm yeah. not a wealthy person, and so it's just like, it's just tough. Um, and so I, I find that there are a lot of older Democrats. Um, and I don't uh-huh. mean in, I don't mean in terms of age. I just mean in terms of thinking. Like people who've been uh-huh. around for a while who haven't caught up to the fact that there needs to be a lot of digital organizing. Do you do you see that in West Virginia too? Like, if you want to win, you really need to be focusing on digital um, organizing and communication. Yeah, big time. Um, here, I mean, we have Democrats that are, we have a really old population here, so it's kind of mixed, but uh, I think digital organizing um, is one of the reasons that I did win, because I was one of the only candidates that, in my area that put a significant amount of money into it and did a lot of targeting for those specific ads, and I think people thought I was kind of nuts, because I had, I ran, and we have a red district, 
or like a red part of my district and I ran my ads but in a whole totally different colorway there um and people were like why are you doing that and I'm like because if they say democrat and they're blue they're not going to vote for me so I have to appeal to those people in a different way and so yeah I do think there's a huge need for for digital organizing so one thing that there's also a need for right now and I know you have talked about this on social media is for people to be taking the COVID crisis seriously. Um, I find, I have a friend that's in West Virginia um, who, I guess the, the COVID crisis didn't hit numbers in West Virginia like it did in other states at first. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it's a crisis everywhere. Um, I, you, you shared about how the governor um, had a party where people weren't wearing masks. Mm-hmm. What is your plan of action? What, what do you want to do to advocate for in West Virginia? Um, to be effective as a legislator? Like, what's that cultural clash like there? Is it like everywhere else? It is. It's rough. Um, Yeah, we have a lot more rural population here who don't take it as seriously as as I think that they should. But uh, I think the first thing that we do is we limit our governor's uh, executive powers during during a state of emergency. So our legislature hasn't met um, since COVID happened. Uh, we got out on the 8th of March and it hit, you know, a couple days later. And so the legislature hasn't met. We were given over a billion dollars in CARES funding and the governor has had the sole responsibility of uh, doling out that money. And, you know, it took him eight months to spend $200 million. And so he has just, like, really not done his job. And it's also not his job to, to decide where money goes, right? That's the legislature's job entirely. So I think he's got way too much power in that term. And it wouldn't matter to me who the governor is. I don't want one person making all the decisions for an entire state of people. And so I think that's the first thing. And then I really think we need to ramp up um, testing, vaccinations. We just, our back to school plan um, just got announced a few weeks ago and it's not great at all. I know there's not good answers for any of this stuff, but it, um, I don't like the way that it's going. We've had these, there's like the Harvard map. I don't know what other states do, but we had the Harvard map and then he tweaked the Harvard map and then he tweaked it again. And so he was basically just calling all the shots and it feels like sports have been way more important than school and safety. And so there's a lot to do in terms of COVID and just in terms of everything else. It's interesting because here in Pennsylvania, the Republican legislature has been trying to roll back the governor's authority not because they think that the governor, well, one, because they say they think the governor has too much power, um, uh-huh. but also because if it was up to them, there wouldn't be any restrictions. Yeah, so that's our, our Republicans are saying, this is one area where everybody agrees that the governor's powers are too grand, but we have different reasons as to why. They think it's constitu- unconstitutional to do a mask mandate. Um, our mask mandate doesn't even have any teeth, so it can't be enforced at all, but... Um, yeah, Republicans say that, and then the Democrats just say, you know, he's been sitting on this money and he hasn't helped anybody. Um, I really worry about utility bills and people being able to pay them because they haven't been able to. So that's one area that's, like, COVID-specific that I'm worried about. I, I'm really worried about that, too. I, on Tuesdays, I do some volunteering um, at our local food bank. And I'm not saying that I mean, it's not like I do a ton, but... Um, mm-hmm. I see this long table to drop off food, and it's a lot of people in my small town. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, do you feel like 
there's a lot of people who just don't see the need, I think is a big problem, right? Like you rural communities or legislators who, because they're staying home, they're out of touch to see that there is a substantial need right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, at least here we had all, we had those lines before COVID hit. Yeah. Now it's just exacerbated tenfold. But yeah, it's, yeah, I think that's a big thing. It's not affecting people. They don't see the need. And so, you know, you know, running for office is not cheap and it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. And so it's not very accessible to everyday people. I'm very much so an everyday person, but a lot of people are very out of touch that are elected officials and they're not there for, for wanting to make positive change for people. It's really, again, I get angry all the time now, but it's disconcerting because the issues you talked about are not like, they shouldn't really be liberal, liberal issues necessarily. I mean, they, they might be, but access to clean water, people having food, people keeping their lights on, those are just human needs. And so when you have counterparts in a legislature, House of Delegates, that don't see it, how do you not pull out the rest of your hair? Yeah, I mean, I probably will. Okay, well, at least we're on that, right? <laughs> I probably will, but it's, it's interesting because I've been, unemployment has kind of become my thing, and so I'm in all these, like, Facebook groups for people who need help with unemployment, and I just say, you know, email me your contact information and I'll have somebody from the office call you. And it's like, they send me messages on Facebook and most of them have Trump in their, not most, I would not say most, a lot of them have Trump in their like Facebook profile picture. And it's just like, it's just so wild to me. And it's like, I'm not any, any less willing to help those people because those are my people and they need help. But it's just like, I have, I'm always just kind of like, huh. So, it, it, I don't know how we get past it. I have a neighbor, uh, well, my next door neighbor, I have a twin, and he has had, until a couple days ago, his Trump flag waving. Um, a neighbor down the street is going to the uh, the overturn the election rallies. Um, and that's, like, within all within 20 feet of my house, basically. Uh-huh. Um, though my neighborhood is very pro-Biden, it's got those those individuals. Um, you broke through, you didn't necessarily break through, you had a lot of Democrats in your area, but you have to break through in your state. I don't think that there, there's no issue, right, where Donald Trump is actually advocating for and his administration is bettering the lives of West Virginians, is there? I mean, this $2,000 check is probably the only thing. But they're not and getting I will, it. <laughs> I will, yeah, no, and it's not, it was like a front and it's not happening. No, there's nothing. There's nothing at all, and so it's. It, you made me think that my Secretary of State certified our election results and went to in West Virginia. We had we had a very safe, great election where Republicans wept. I mean, I was one of four non-incumbent Democrats that won in the whole state, and that's statewide office or state legislature. And um, so, I mean, there was just like no denying that Republicans won everything and then and then now they're crying that we need to decertify the results and they won so like i don't our secretary of state certified our election results and that night went to a stop the steel rally and spoke right so why didn't the did was it just a secret plan by joe biden to like lose all over the place except for <laughs> um 
So you have this issue. I was talking again with Louise. I recommend people check out that recent podcast, but um, where there's no issue where you can compromise on this to gain people's support. Um, how do you build a coalition of voters across the state? You have to fix West Virginia yourself right now, Kayla. Um, I know. <laughs> no, but but seriously, like you have a, have a mindset going forward. You you clearly want to get things done. Do you think that there's hope for you and for future candidates to bring people together, even in this very kind of scary culture? Yeah, I mean, it's the only thing we can do, right? It's the only option. And so mm -hmm. that might be toxically positive, but that's literally the only thing I can think is that there has to be a way. And so, I mean, in my campaign, um, I don't know if you saw any of my materials, but everything was orange. Nothing was blue. Nothing was red. It was all orange. Um, it didn't say my party anywhere. It said Kayla Young for House. It didn't say my district number because people don't know that. It said Kayla Young for House. That's all it said. I'm a mom. I'm a small business owner. I grew up in this community. There's all you need to know about me. And if you want to know anything else, call me. And all my information, all my walk cards, my everything said, here's when the election is. I want you to vote. I don't care who you vote for. I just want you to vote. Um, It'd be great if you voted for me, but whatever. Either way, please go vote. And so, to me, it was it was about taking the party out of it. I would get phone call, and that's any party. I would get phone calls that would say, well, are you Democrat or Republican? And I would say, why do you need to know that? Well, I'm not voting for you. If you're not blank, fill it in. And so... For me, it's just about working with people, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of moderate Republicans who I am friends with from being a lobbyist, and we don't agree on most things. Um, we don't agree on a lot of, like, really fundamental things that are moral issues, but there are a lot of things that we do agree on and can agree on and things that will improve the lives of people vastly, and I think we start there, and we don't spend weeks arguing over nonsensical things like other states election results we we focus on what we can do and work with each other to make these small changes that will impact the lives of people in our districts and like something i've noticed in in my legislature is that um as a lobbyist not inside maybe i'll be different now but that everyone wants credit for all the work that they do like, they want their name to be on it. It has to be done. People need to know they did it, right? They'll get elected if they people know they did it. And I do not care about that at all. Because what I care about is the lives of West Virginians improving by whatever means necessary. So if that means running my bills without my name on them, so be it, as long as they get passed. And so I think it's just taking our egos out of it, taking party partisan politics out of it and doing whatever we can to help people well and it sounds like you have important issues that would legitimately help people as opposed to things that are very distant from their lives from drinking water to unemployment to covid relief etc so you have an you have a challenge ahead of you you have a mindset that's positive i think um if people are thinking about changing the world in their state or their community, why would you encourage people to run for office, whether it's 2021 or 2022? What would be your words of encouragement or your marching orders, as they were? I mean, I really just think we need more regular people in government. And mm -hmm. it doesn't, ha you know, it doesn't have to be the fancy rich people doing it. It can be anybody. And 
I think people who are interested but terrified, you should, if you're not terrified, something's wrong with you because it's terrifying and it's really hard work and you have to be willing to give yourself to it for however long it takes. And it's going to be long nights, long mornings, apologize to your kids and your partners in advance because it's not fun, but it's very, very, very important. And I think people have a lot more support behind them than they know. Um, I think it's something you should definitely prepare to do and talk to the other people in your district, you know, talk to your county party, see what kind of support there is, or see if, like, now's the time for you, or not that I don't think there's anything, you know, don't, if your party says don't run, we've got the guy, like, don't just believe them. See who it is first and go from there. But I think we need more young people, more interested people, people from every different background, because everybody has so many great experiences to bring to the table that just aren't being seen. Yeah, and, and finally, I agree with you totally, and I think that on a local level, it's a lot easier to have people from regular life because the 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 uh, time constraints are a lot different than being in a legislature, being in Congress. But what do you think that your House of Delegates, what do you think that government would be like in West Virginia or anywhere if it was... A majority, not Democrat or Republican necessarily, but a majority of people who came from those walks of life and you had that personal diversity. I mean, you would just get so many different perspectives and point of views. I think that you wouldn't be so focused on on the people who write those big checks. You know, you'd be more worried about the people whose names on the on the front than the back. And so it's just it it would be so much more focused on people and, and growth and development and making sure that everybody has their basic needs met, not how many tax breaks can we give out to giant corporations who are just going to put the money in their pocket. I mean, it's just as simple as that. We need people who care about other people. Yeah, and I think that while I am not necessarily one to limit who can run or anything like that, I think that when you have regular folks running, they don't have that culture of, whining and dining with people who have tens of thousands of dollars just write a check out a table. Right. Yeah, oh, 100%. It's like, I, I don't care about those people. I'm glad, like, great for them for being successful, and that's good, but it's not helpful. So I'm may, way more worried about the people who are here that are struggling. Yeah, that's what we need. And, and so I want to recommend people follow at Run For Something. Um Definitely follow that organization, which is helping regular folks like Kayla run for office across the country. It's one of my favorite organizations, and I don't solicit money or anything for me or anyone else, but definitely encourage people to follow them. And Kayla, if people want to follow you and learn what you're uh, up against and what you're doing in West Virginia, uh, where should they go to follow you? So I am at Kayla Young, K-A-Y-L-A Young, for, spelled out F-O-R-W-V, on um, everything. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kayla. I wish you the best of luck, and I can't wait to follow you and see how you uh, raise the bar in West Virginia. Thank you, Councilman. Have a good one. You too. Bye. -bye. Bye.